Hey there, faithful ThoughtBot podcast listener. We love podcasts and having the opportunity to share our experiences through such a personal medium, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we like creating them. For the month of December only, you can show your support for ThoughtBot and our podcast with mugs, shirts, and a limited edition knit hat. This particular shirt and mug design have never before been available outside of our own teammates and customers, and they may never be again. For the production and shipping, we are proud to partner with Social Imprints, who provides career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. So help support your favorite podcasts, provide employment opportunities for at-risk populations, and get some nifty ThoughtBot swag. Head over to ThoughtBot.com podcasts to place your order and show your support. And hey, thanks. So I always work from home on Wednesday because I can't figure out how to book rooms and I am always worried that the soundproof rooms are going to be taken. And they always seem to like pick Wednesday to serve the good snacks. So I'm like sorry. they just put out in the, in the Ottawa Snacks channel, they have fried bannock and smoked salmon mousse with pickled squash and caviar and dill. What the hell is going on over there? What's the stock price? What the hell is bannock? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it looks delicious. I think it's a type of fish. So Sam has been mad that I haven't been name dropping him enough. So Sam, Tess and I both caught your cold. You're a jerk. <laughs> now I've name dropped him, so he can't get mad at me. Okay. Uh, I started a new project. Oh, hi, wait. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. I started a new project this week. You started you a new project? Yeah. You want to hear about it? Yes. So I was, it I was going to make a joke, but I forgot to. It's, it's the first project in a while that I've worked on that is totally greenfield. Okay. Um, it's not wait, so like, in rails. Yeah. In rails. Dude, what happened to your pledge? That what? Oh, I mean, well, wait, hey, hold on a second. It was totally greenfield like, I don't know, two months ago. But it's oh, been a okay. it's been a Thoughtbot Greenfield project. I'm not quite sure why it's not an Elixir. I haven't really um, haven't really decided to, to to bring that up yet. But I think next week I'll tell them they need to rewrite it. But okay, um, cool. You know, so it's been interesting. Like it's also it's also been like it's a Greenfield project with a smaller company. So like this morning I was commenting how it's. It's really bizarre for me after like a year of working with larger teams where there was it took time to get things reviewed. Like I can look at the Trello board, which is nice because it's not Jira, in the morning <laughs> and see like three, four, five cards that I'm like, oh, okay, those look like things I can do. And then be like, I can get all of those shipped today. Like I can get yeah. them done, reviewed, merged, and deployed all today. <laughs> and it's just like, wow. Like I, I commented this morning that somebody reviewed my PR like within two or three minutes of me opening it and I just let it sit there because I was like that's that's I have to wait for somebody else to look at it like <laughs> that's too fast this can't happen uh whereas before on a lot of projects before people were busy or like reviews weren't very important um so they ended up sticks uh hanging around for a long time but or, or nobody else in the company knows how to or wants to review the pull requests I don't think that was the case for the most part I think it was I'm mostly referring just... to my crazy 3d rendering project oh, well yeah sure so anyway, it was cool. It's cool to like be able to look at them and be like, we can move fast and everything's well tested and it's in a style I mostly like. It's pretty great. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I have mixed feelings on that because it's like it, it's it, it's nice, but it gets kind of boring. 
hmm, I'll let you know. I mean, <laughs> I could use boring for a little while. <laughs> sure. I don't know. It's just like everything's very easy on on projects in that stage. Yes. Like the interesting challenges come from the compromises you have to make with legacy code. I don't know. There's some interesting challenges that come. Like there's some interesting stuff happening in this code base. Like there's, I don't know enough to really speak too much about it, but there's like some complex, there's like one search form that actually does several different types of searches. So there's an object that kind of aggregates the different types of searches and calls out to these various scopes or various query methods based on. So there's some like pretty sure. thought out design, but in that I, mean, it, I don't mean to imply that like there's no challenges whatsoever. Right. Although yeah. my initial troll response there is just use ransack. Mm. I'm, I'm aware that's not, that's why it's my troll answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it's like over the last year or so, I've come to have a, an appreciation for just like legacy code. It tells an interesting story, and I, I kind of enjoy playing like that archaeologist role. I also enjoy that, but there's a line, right? For me, the line is like my experience with legacy code as a consultant is that I'm often not empowered to do as much as I would like with it. And that's right. probably the case with legacy code in general. Like you're like, I'm not empowered to change this because reasons, because it's in production, because for me, you know, it's whatever. backwards compatibility. Right. Usually. Sure. There's all of that, but there's still more that I think I'm more that I could do without going afoul of that. But that bit about me, generally the legacy code projects we work on are larger projects with larger teams. And there's like not as much influence as I can have that I can have as I would like, but Anyway, the one area I was starting to dig into today, like I was like, okay, I'm, I'm writing this one feature and uh, like basically they wanted some required fields on the search form. Like right now you can click search without filling out the whole form. It's like, all right, well, these need to be required. I can just use HTML5 uh, validation. Yep. And like, oh, I can't really because... Sure you can. No, it's fine. Mobile Safari will allow you to submit the form. So what actually happens when they submit the form and it's empty? Uh, it just shows no, it shows no things. So that's fine. That's cool. I was like, I'm still going to use these HTML5 validations and I'll just, I'll note that like no errors happen. You just get no results. What do you want to do here? Um, but then the other I mean, bit, it seems fine. The other bit of the ticket was like, I already uses iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the, or the built in Android browser, which I believe does the same thing. That hasn't been a thing for like <laughs> years. It's like Chrome just Chrome everywhere. Now. The only device I know of that uses AOSP, which is where the like the Android default browser still technically exists, is the Motorola line, and even they just put Chrome on it. All right. But then the last bit of the ticket, the last little acceptance criteria on the ticket is if the fields are not filled out, so the form is invalid, the submit button should be disabled. So you need JavaScript. Yeah, so I need JavaScript. And I'm like, all right, well... And it actually turns out that even though like some mobile Safari and Safari, they let you submit the form when it's invalid, the APIs for validity all exist. Right. So you can actually call like check validity on an input to see if it's valid in Safari. So I was like, all right, actually, this is going to be pretty easy. I, like the button will just I be mean, disabled. I mean, this seems like a use case for Ember. I'm, anyway, this is a long way of Sorry, me saying... Sorry, I'm, I'm in a bit of a trolly mood today. This Sorry. is a long way of me saying I started to write some JavaScript. Sure. And I checked out... There's not a lot of JavaScript in this file, but there's some existing JavaScript, and it's all just regular vanilla ES5 JavaScript. And I was like, all right, cool, we can do this. 
and very quickly I looked at I was like editing some existing JavaScript and being like, oh, this wouldn't pass a linter. Oh, there's no linter configured. Okay, let me look at like configuring a linter. Should I? What do I use nowadays? Do I use ESLint? That's what the kids are using, right? So let me go look into ESLint. And okay, I probably need uh, if I want everybody to have the same version of ESLint, I need yarn. I, I'll need yarn. So let me do this. And like I start going down this road, and I was like, why in 2016 if Rails is like this opinionated framework? that's supposed to give me so much out of the box. Why is JavaScript linting? Like, if you're writing JavaScript, it needs to be linted. You haven't been following, like, the last two weeks, have you? No, what? What's happening? We do, yar- we do yarn by default. We're integrating Webpack. Oh! And we'll <laughs> you're integrating Webpack, too? Yeah. So the well, asset that, pipeline uh, that is... One, it, I, don't think we've pu- I don't think we've done anything public about it. It's an ongoing discussion. Yeah, we're, we're looking... We'll probably end up integrating Webpack pretty closely in 5.1. Uh, and... Right now, actually, yarn's not the default right now. You have to do hyphen hyphen yarn, but mm-hmm. that'll probably be the default. And if that's not the default, that'll be hyphen hyphen yarn as the alternative to npm, which will be the default. All right. All of our JavaScript stuff is on npm now. We although we there was an interesting discussion because UJS recently dropped jQuery as a dependency. Yes, I saw that. And Pretty we were excited. figuring out what we were going to do because just this seemed seemed like a good time to address the distribution of UJS because our default now is put it on npm which partially just means make sure it's all plain JavaScript, which is fine. Uh, but then I was like, UJS actually makes absolutely no sense on its own. So that's the one JavaScript thing that we'll have that will not be a thing on NPM. And in fact, we're going to remove it as a gem and just make it, or it might remain as its own gem, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be embedded in Action Dispatch. Yes, it is a requirement of using Rails, basically, and it has no use outside of Rails. Right. It's a, it's a requirement of Action Dispatch, which will just be benign if you're using Action Controller API. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited because I was on, I was going to be like, what is like, this conversation was all going to be like, I don't understand why I'm still doing all this by hand. Are we still clinging to coffee script? And it sounds like the answer is no. Uh, you're um, sighing. <laughs> no. So there's a, a decent ish chance that we'll switch to ES6 in 5.1. Yeah. I don't care so much about the ES6 versus ES5 versus whatever. Like, I don't think you should be writing coffee script anymore. If it's not CoffeeScript, though, it's going to be ES6. Right. It should be. It should. If it's going to be something, then fine. ES6 is fine. Something and some tooling around linting because it's basically a requirement with JavaScript. Right. And uh, as far as Make that sure goes, you're not using double equals. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like the reason why I was like, oh, we should add this is because like I opened up a JavaScript file and it was like just polluting the public namespace, which is easy to do when you're just not thinking about it, right? And you didn't you didn't put it inside like they didn't put the functions they declared inside of an immediately executed function. Or sure, whatever. that doesn't bother me as much. Uh, I kind of bother. I like things to be organized and like and and no, like, I, I get like it's a best practice, but it's like I I don't know. It's 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 one of those things where it doesn't immediately stand out to me as like oh my god everything going to break like using double equals does right except that as soon as if one of those functions is kind of generically named and you do the same thing in some other file then you have a problem hi welcome welcome to every programming language have you written ruby (laughs) yes i suppose this is true (laughs) it's actually kind of i think a really cool feature of javascript that's possible to write code that doesn't pollute a global namespace like that (laughs) Yeah, so I'm excited that uh, I didn't I didn't know about this. I was excited about the jQuery UJS dropping jQuery and just becoming UJS. Rails UJS, you mean? Rails UJS. It was never jQuery UJS. Mm, yes, it was. No, it was never called jQuery UJS. It's always been called Rails UJS. Didn't I write a blog post about this? Yeah, I did. And it's Rails is Rails is jQuery UJS. Hold on, I want to see this. Yeah, 
Boom. Require jQuery UJS is what's in your app da- application JS file. Ah, shit. <laughs> Rails slash jQuery UJS is a thing that exists. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I was excited about that going away. Now I'm super excited about the possibilities of ES6. And Webpack is like, I've always, I've always been a pretty strong defender of the asset pipeline. Like, even from the beginning when, it, when things were rough, I was like, it'll get worked out. Everybody well, calm it, down. Webpack will integrate with the asset pipeline, to be clear. So we're still going to get things like digesting automatically and yeah. asset path and image path and yeah. all that stuff. And, and like there are legit cases for just our style of require that Webpack isn't necessarily the best for. Like what? I can't think of them off the top of my head. <laughs> and as I was going through that sentence, I was like, shit, what's that case that Shanim's told me? <laughs> so it will still integrate with the asset pipeline. It'll just be powered by... Webpack. Wait, that's making me not sound like an idiot. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, it'll still integrate with the asset pipeline. It'll be powered yeah. by Webpack. You'll get real exports. You'll get... Down. Well, Webpack isn't real exports, right? Webpack is go evaluate this and remove the real exports and turn it into a single concatenated right. and JavaScript you will, file. And you will get Babel? Uh, you already get Babel. Really? Uh, you can get Babel today in your Rails any version by using Sprockets 4. Okay, maybe I'll... There's not a lot of JavaScript in this project, so I might just suggest that and that we start using ES6. Um, Sprockets 4 is still in beta, for the record, at the time of this recording. It's Sprockets 4.0.0.beta 4, but like any Rails version, you can get Babel today out of the box. If you're willing to use the beta version of Sprockets. Right, and if you're on Sprockets 3, I think you just require the Babel transpiler gem, and it still just works out of the box. Well, not out of the box, but with that gem. I'm just thinking off the cuff here, but this is true, right? If it if your assets get pre-compiled properly, Sprockets is therefore is mostly at that point done its job, right? Yeah. There's image there's image path and asset path and all that stuff. Right. So, but Sprockets does need to be aware of where in the process Webpack goes so that it can do the digesting and the minifying and the cheese zipping. Yes. Okay. So there still is some some stuff that it's doing at runtime. Because I was saying, like, if it's one of those... Well, it doesn't do any of that at runtime. Sprockets, if you're pre-compiling your assets, is, like, not present at runtime, which is why it's in the assets gem group. What's the thing? There is no assets gem group anymore. Yeah, there is. What? I thought they removed the assets gem group. Did they? Yes. That's the thing I should probably know. <laughs> Pretty sure we generate gem file with... Rails with 4 dropped the assets group gem file. Well, Discourse still has an assets group. Yeah, well, it should, because I, I liked the assets group. Okay. Well, anyway, it doesn't do anything at runtime. Well, what is the part that gives you that looks at, like if I say production runtime, I should. If I say image path foo, what is right? That's sprockets, but in production, right? That's all been done because you were doing that in a .erb asset, presumably. Correct. I mean, you could do it from a controller. Right. We actually had an interesting bug this morning where like somebody was like doing was trying to render an image and like it was working in development. They deployed it to staging and it wasn't working. We're like, what's going on? We noticed like that if you inspected the source of the image, it didn't have a digest on it. And I was like, okay, that typically happens if it can't find the image that you passed it. Yeah, that raises in Sprockets 4. So, well, either way, but I was like, okay, so that's the clue. It can't find it. And we're like, well, why can't it find it? It can find it in development, which is now, helpfully, as of Sprockets something, switched to, to digesting in development mode. So you get digested assets in development, digested assets in production. Uh, um, so that's nice. Sprockets 3 did so that, I think. why can it find it in development and not in production and it, it turned, can't well no it could it turned out the reason was the url that we were using for the image path we were determining from a constant in a class so my theory is what is what was happening was as the rails app is booting up 
that constant gets evaluated before whatever image and asset path use to look up like okay they asked for they asked for foo.jpg that's actually foo967532.jpg or whatever so the file did exist in app assets images yes but i think what was mm-hmm. happening was that the because it was in a constant that constant was getting evaluated before the, where was this file it was in a contr- no it was in app models or something it was in app something yeah app something i don't think that's the case all right. Well, something was happening, and what we ended up doing, what the what the fix ended up being, was taking the constant, which wasn't really necessary anymore. It was necessary when we were like deciding, like we had some. Lo- the reason why this is in a Ruby file is like there was some logic about which image you were going to show, depending on a few other things. Um, and it turned out like we only needed one image anyway. So we just, I was like, my first thing was like, what happens if you restart the Rails app? Because I was thinking like maybe asset pre-compilation wasn't finished before the Rails app. I, I'm not really sure what happened. So like, let's just restart it without deploying new code. Still didn't work. I was like, okay. Are you sure it wasn't just like you had images slash in front of it or you nope. forgot images slash in front of it, whichever nope. of those two is the common mistake? No, nope. we checked. We tried both image path and asset path. And so ultimately what we decided to do was like just put the image, put the same exact code that we had in the controller, move it to the view and, you know, drop all the namespace we had to use to get to the helper in the... In the... Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then that worked. Does the controller just override that method and not use... I'll bet that's what happens. Well, no, we were calling like action something something helpers dot, you know, I think we're doing the right thing. For for anybody confused about what we're talking about, so the behavior of sprockets historically when you call asset path or image path or whatever has been, go try and find this, and if it can find it, generate the URL to the asset pipeline thing, and if it can't find it, return the string that you gave it. And the reason for that was because prior to Rails 3.1, which was the introduction of the asset pipeline, people would stick things in the public folder. And the public folder is your uh, basically dumb file server directory. So anything in the public folder gets just served if anything accesses that URL. And because the asset pipeline was not an all or nothing thing, a lot of people would do a partial transition to the asset pipeline. So to make that, this was all to make that easier. So when you, ask for, uh, when you ask for an asset, it would try to find it through the asset pipeline. If it couldn't, it assumed you had that file in the public directory, which was great in Rails 3.1. Mm-hmm. There's some uh, other uses for it, though. Continue. But right, so as time goes on and the asset pipeline is just the thing that everybody uses, you end up with like Rails apps that are just always using the asset pipeline, and particularly you end up with pe- like newer developers. Uh, it's not even a new developer problem, but like this is where it tends to crop up the most, where it's just like they had a typo, or the most common was was they had the image in the right place, but they were invoking the helper wrong. And were, I, I forgot if it was either they were including images slash or they forgot images slash. I think, it it's, one of those I think if you include images slash, you end up getting it but, or, or assets slash maybe is what it is. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. But either way, um, because this is combined with the fact that like sprockets, then it's also configured that when you hit a URL, it's going to try and go look in public. There's a fallback where sprockets goes try, and tries to see if it can find it. And in this case, it can find that and then compile it on the fly. But it's disabled in production. So the end result is just it was a very common mistake where people would have things that would work in development but fail to load in production. Mm-hmm. That got better in Rails 5.0 or 4.2, I don't remember which, where we now disable that fallback by default. And I think we actually disabled serving static files by default. Yeah, something happened where now, I think it's part of pre-compilation in Sprockets 3, maybe. 
uh, where the versions, whether this is a Rails thing or Sprockets thing is always confusing to me. But basically, even when you pre-compiled assets before, you would get both the digested version of the asset and the undigested version of the asset. And that would be part of what the bundle from pre-compilation would include, right? right? So if you had some place where you were writing some raw, you had a designer writing some raw HTML, or maybe you wrote some raw HTML and you just used the un, you didn't use image path, it would still work. You just wouldn't be referencing the digested version of the asset. Then at some point, what happened, at one of those releases, what happened was they said like, no, when you pre-compile assets, we're only going to include the digested version of those assets because that'll get rid of a whole class of problems where people are forgetting to use the helpers. Right. To get the digested version, which makes a hundred percent sense. It's very it's very similar right. to the getting the undigested version for those so also for those unfamiliar, the reason that we do the digested version is because caching is really hard. <laughs> right. And you you don't want people getting cached versions of your CSS or Java JavaScript's the big one. You definitely don't want somebody serving up the cached version of your JavaScript when the file is changed, but you don't want to set a low cache expiration because performance performance so that's why we do the digest if you give each version of the file a totally unique file name then you can tell it to cache forever and then right. when the and contents so, of that change right so and that file name is generated from the contents of the right. files so unfortunately one of the casualties of this is emails because emails live longer than a page load right so you might have your company logo in your email and before you were able to get away with saying image src equals slash assets slash logo dot png or whatever it is right because those were those undigested assets were still part of what got produced when you pre-compiled assets i mean you're supposed to include that as an attachment there's still <laughs> there's still like there's a still a large section like greater than 10 percent of email clients that will not render that image anyway people do it just say it. and now it doesn't work because that file is no longer there so you're like okay cool i'll use the helper but then the minute that file changes, that URL no longer works, right? Because now that file is gone. So it's almost like if you want to use the helpers in your emails, you need to have special email versions that never change, that, that will always be part of your deployed application so that those emails can be rendered. Do we have a helper to include it at, as a, an attachment? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, like that, I don't know if that's a thing. I, I kind of almost want to make it. I mean... It would be really tricky to set up properly because the place you're calling asset path or image path or whatever is in action view, not a thing that inherits from action mailer. But I would almost want to make it where if you call asset path from action mailer, it automatically includes the file as an attachment hmm. and then links to that. What I noticed on this project is being used to overcome some of that. I, what I think is to overcome some of that. I keep meaning to ask about it to see if maybe we can get rid of it is there's a gem that people are using to overcome this with the unfortunate name of non-stupid non-digest assets or non-stupid digest assets or something like that is what it's called. And basically it says it will cause the pre-compile process to output both the non-digested and the digested version. I mean, if you're uploading your assets to a CDN as well, you're, you're, not you're probably not deleting your old digests. Well, who uploads to a CDN anymore, though? Literally everyone. No, you have origin pull. Origin pull from your CDN. That's the way to go, man. Like, oh, fine. <laughs> They'll still be cached by your CDN, though, even if you're doing that. To some extent, yes, but not a year later. Like, that's not going to... Get our CDN. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, assets. Uh, yeah, no, that's a tricky one. I don't think that's been... 
I think it's been talked about because that's definitely a thing. Like somebody created a gem for it, which on GitHub has 422 stars and 41 forks. No, so. I'm talking about by us. Like I, I'm not sure that's been uh, appropriately. Hold on, now I'm just checking something. Oh wait, no, this isn't even the. Oh right, I need to. I need to <laughs> open this in a different email client because this is. <laughs> I actually don't even know if I can get the original. Wait, yes, there's a show source in, in Gmail. Because Gmail now, yes. like, reverse proxies all... So, actually, your statement is false for people using Gmail. Because they will reverse proxy those those images. Right, because they pull, they pull it when it comes in. Right. Okay, but hold on. I've got the... I'm, I'm in the view source. Basecamp static, and it is digested. Yeah. This URL will break if they ever change their logo. Yeah, so don't change your logo. Or if they change this file, rather. Or just put the S... Oh, wait, it doesn't... You can you can put the assets in public and then change the configuration to, say, serve static files out of public. Right. right? Or, well, or do the smarter thing, which is set up uh, Nginx and or a CDN to reverse proxy to that directory. Right. Yes. Like, that's why we turn that off by default, because nobody uses that in production, really. And, like, you shouldn't use that in production. I do want to go back for a second and talk about non-stupid digest assets. I wish he didn't name it that. Yeah, that's a really like. <laughs> and like reading through the readme, it's like the last question is, why is this not the default slash a config option in Rails 4? And the answer is good question. I think it should be complain here. And there's a link to like an issue on Sprockets Rails or something. That's not helpful. Yeah, I just I like I understand why people would be upset about it. But like there's a there's a nice way to go about it and just be like, I disagree with this behavior. This gem restores the old behavior or whatever the case may be. We have a we have a line in Rails which is alias method my tests are order dependent. I'm stupid and my tests are order dependent because mini tests. That's a mini test thing. Yep. Like, yeah. if nothing else, I feel like that the existence of that method name is a good argument to use RSpec over mini test. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people complain about that one. Anyway, what have you been doing this week? Uh, well, so I worked on upgrading Sprocket uh, Discourse to Sprockets four. Oh, exciting. That's why you were saying that the discourse has an assets group. Yeah, which made me learn that I don't know how sprockets works and that discourse does some crazy things with sprockets. As we learned in uh, in Richard's RailsConf talk, very few people know how sprockets works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found a decent number of bugs. I also found that Richard's been doing a really good job since he took over and it has significantly fewer bugs than it did before that. So... I'm glad, but it's definitely a project that's been in need of some TLC. But um, so there was that. And then uh, just today I got Paper Trail upgraded for Rails 5.1. Congratulations. Paper Trail, the like thing that tracks changes. Yeah, the soft delete gem. Yeah. Well, and then also that tracks. Yeah, the give me every version that this model has ever been in. Right. Gem. Right. Because I promised in a tweet that I would when I was asking. I was trying to get a, uh, an idea of the scope of the breakage for the callbacks and dirty thing and mm -hmm. when they were like yeah paper trail is like oh yeah no i know i'll send you guys a pr when i merge it and then i forgot to do that <laughs> and so, then so you merged it and then now you have to go do the work right well so then like i got pinged in a in a pull in a pull request because the maintainer was like uh, let's constrain us to less than rails 5.1 uh sean promised to, to to do this for us but i think he was being over uh I don't remember his words. He thought I was being too nice. <laughs> We're like, no, no, I totally, I totally, I just forgot. And then, and so I finally got around to doing it today. 
which was good because I, I, I like I want to do that for a couple of gems because it helps me make sure that I'm fully appreciative of like how much pain I'm causing. I actually feel a lot better about that change after having done this. But I'm also glad I did it because I realized that all of my deprecation warnings were backwards. So there's mm -hmm. two there's there's two new methods I introduced right for every deprecated method. There's the old behavior method and the new behavior method. And I every deprecation warning recommended the new behavior method, which is wrong. <laughs> okay, well that's good. So I fixed that. Have you updated? Uh, well, you're still. Are you still working on getting Shopify to work on Rails five? Uh, so we shipped that today. Ooh. So uh, we had an issue. So I, I think we talked about this last week, right? The did we talk about the Marshall thing? I don't know. So we tried. We finished this a, a while back, and we did our first attempt. So basically, for for something this big. Where it's like our tests are green. We've uh, we call it top hatting when you like visually inspect that things work. We've top hatted as much as we can. Top hat. That yeah, must be, that must uh, be Canadian. Top hat made of money. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't I don't I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we got a bunch of exceptions from a bunch of our background workers, and it was because people were marshalling instances of action controller parameters. Hmm. And actual parameters used to inherit from hash. Right, no longer does. It no longer does. This exact same issue happened for a lot of people from Rails 3.2 to Rails 4.0, where flash hash and session store both inherited from hash and stopped inheriting from hash. Yes. Now, an interesting thing, this is specific to things that inherit from hash and probably presumably array and Marshall, is that if, if Marshall gets a thing that inherited from hash and no longer inherits from hash, it blows up at a point early enough that there's literally just nothing you can do about it. And at least with the Rails 3.2 to 4.0 one, the answer was change your session key and all of your users are logged out, which isn't that bad. Uh, this one, the ones in the database were easy because you just load in the stuff like in Rails 4.2 worker, you load in everything that, you know, is serialized and then convert it to an actual hash and then reserialize it and then change your code to just work with actual hashes, which it probably already does. The ones that were in Redis, we can't just iterate over all of Redis because right. That would take probably months or years. <laughs> um, anyway, that one though, the like the the biggest culprit there was shopping carts, which expire after ten days. So we updated the code, and then just we're gonna wait it out. But then the ten days, uh, we we do a, a a code freeze around Black Friday because Black Friday Cyber Monday we do, I think more traffic that weekend than the rest of the year combined. Although I might be wrong on that. I think our average load during that weekend is ten x our peak load the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So this year was only a week-long code freeze, which is really good. So it's funny, we have, you know, there's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then at Shopify, we have Shipping Tuesday. <laughs> anyway, so uh, that was why we didn't ship. We shipped, we tried it again today. We put it on 1% of nodes. Uh, we got no exceptions. It was good. Uh, there was one dependency that we have that was emitting a deprecation warning. Um, deprecation warnings in production are absurdly expensive because they call caller. So that was a 1.5% of our runtime. So huh. we, we, we uh, rolled that back, but we'll probably deploy again tomorrow. And if there's no issues, we'll roll up to 10% of nodes and then 30 and then full. That makes me feel good knowing that, the, that they're expensive because I'm very obsessive about making sure there are no deprecation warnings in my code base. 
I love you so much right now. <laughs> I wish everybody could be like you. Who yes, wants, who no, wants to see those things sensitive. scroll by? Nobody wants to right. see those things scroll by. You want pertinent information. It's kind of the same reason I'm very obsessive about queries. Like one extra query isn't really going to slow things down, but it's just more information in the logs when I'm looking for actual information. Like, I mean, oh, we I don't saw need this an anymore. enormous number of deprecations in our tests are running purely on Rails 5. We can't fix our controller slash integration tests to use keyword arguments because... The keyword argument form didn't exist in Rails 4.2. I told you when I was updating like clearance and scenic to work with Rails 5, I was like, this is the biggest pain. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, some... I, I mean, I, I hate it. I would have introduced like a, a gem. mix in yeah. or gem. Updating our, our, our test suite is going to be a nightmare and will probably take weeks. Yep. Like I'm probably going to send out a company-wide email asking everybody to pitch in on this. <laughs> Uh, no, I think it's the most ridiculous, like, this is the kind of shit that leads to people just staying on old Rails versions, and it's pointless. I think what I ended up doing in Clearance, I'll have to look this up, is just having a helper that gets mixed into the Rails 5 version that makes the Rails 4 version not be a deprecation. So you basically just pulled our forwards compatibility shim and then overrode the methods to call that? I think and then, so. So that way, by the time I get, yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, like, it's it's better, right? Like, the old API was horrendously ambiguous and would yeah, do the wrong no thing. No doubt. Happened. This is better. This is, and this I've been is 100% finding, better. As, like, I've been going through our test suite. I've been finding a bunch of places where our tests are actually broken. And well, the code is broken because the test isn't testing what they think it's testing. But, like, I think there is a path forward that we could have and should have taken that would not have resulted in this having been a painful migration that all existing apps have to take. Yeah, basically, I'm just looking at it right now. What I did was I have a module called HTTP method shim that defines get, put, and post, which take non-keyword arguments and then just calls super with the keyword arguments. And yeah. I mix that into controller tests. I don't know. Maybe I need to do something about this. <laughs> like, well, But here's the thing. I'm working on a library, so I need to maintain compatibility between Rails 4 and Rails 5. You only temporarily need compatibility between Rails 4 and Rails 5. And if you keep this shim around at that point, you'll never update the test to the better API. I don't want to update the existing test to the better API. The tests are fine. But then how will you have new tests use the the better API, which so we this would is, both this say. This is what I want. And it'll have to be per file, right? So I can never have it be more granular than per file. But what I want, what I want to do is have some solution where existing files just continue to work. Mm -hmm. Newly generated files only have access to the new API. And I want that solution to not require like generated files have include new testing shim because that would never fly with so David. What I'm hearing is what you want what you want is class foo test inherits from action controller test case and then two, two. Yeah. <laughs> but right the, like but that's the, the, other thing the new is migration. That, you know, this also needs to work with like I just wrote my own test file yeah so basically what i want is impossible without run something that like runs over all existing code and just changes the class it inherits from or something yeah. and even if you made it a file by file thing like even if even if you took something like my http shim here and you sure. just that is confusing because people are like i'm in a different file and now nothing works this right and now oh i guess i need to include this <laughs> i need to include this shim and now everything works again and people but aren't using the new api it's just it's it <sighs> I think we should have just no docs the methods and come up with new names from get put and post. Right, I know, <laughs> I I know Derek. HTTP okay. get HTTP put. I HTTP know, post, I guess. but I don't like our solution <laughs> because, like, literally, hold on, let me see. 
I'm gonna I, grep you would like also need lines delete that start and with patch. get and then space in you, test. Yeah. Delete patch all of those as well. I just don't use them, so I only patch. Right, only did but I'm get just gonna go for get first because get's gonna be the most common. Okay, I wrote that regex wrong. Let me try ag. <laughs> Shouldn't you be trying? What's the Rust one again? Oh, I've got uh, Rust grep. Ag is just an alias to RG. Mm. Eight thousand seven hundred and fifty calls to get. Yeah, so you have at least 8,750 deprecations. And like, and these are the ones where, this is part of why, because we could have made that deprecation warning give you the exact code that we think that you wanted. I looked into doing that. I spent a Friday trying to do that, and I was like, oh, this is There's harder than I thought. just enough ambiguity to yeah. make it like... Yeah, it was like, I think I talked to you about it, and I was like, oh, you could probably get this at like the 90% case, yeah. but... Yep, <laughs> yep. And that's the problem, right? Is that 10% that you miss, it's not necessarily going to make the test fail. Like, I think if I remember correctly, it was like, what happens if your parameters have a key that are also the name of one of the keyword arguments or something like that? There was some sort of weirdness. Well, I mean, one of the biggest ones, right, that makes it ambiguous is just if you're passing two hashes, we literally have no idea whether the second hash are the headers or the env hash. Right. Which is why the argument is called headers or env. Right. <laughs> and like we have a bunch of shit at Shopify too where we're just doing stuff that no longer works in Rails 5 in our tests and so that's been fun hmm. the Rails team has sort of like inadvertently become the team that people dump arbitrary technical debt on what do you mean by that? people will be doing something that's deprecated and they'll get a uh, but, so maybe, okay I don't want to go on a long rant about deprecation we're going to change dep act for deprecation to, to uh, warrant a raise in our code base is what's going to happen in Rails? No, in, in Shopify. Okay, that's cool. Because it's like people will submit very large pull requests that introduce new code that's relying on something deprecated that was like wasn't nothing was hitting that deprecation path before, and like undeprecating it requires also refactoring their code in a way that if I were writing it in the first place, I would have preferred to have seen. Right. I don't know. Between that and um, compatibility stuff, it like. A lot of stuff is getting dumped on our team that just shouldn't be, that other teams should be responsible for. Well, that's why you have languages that have like a compile, like a, a, dis, a discrete compile step when you have your little IDE or whatever, and you can say like, treat compiler warnings as errors. That, and right. Like you say, like, everybody must do this, and CI does that. Um, but there isn't that I know well, of. That's always, I guess, that's, well, that's always difficult. Could... Like, it's difficult to turn that on after the fact. I guess you could do what you were saying, which is just make the warn method raise right in test and development or something like that oh no no we're gonna make it raise in production too okay <laughs> i was gonna say what you could also do is do it just on ci or something no <laughs> nah, no dude. no because nah, no, nah. if, if, if it's blowing up our shops <laughs> then people will fix their <laughs> deprecations man all right okay good to know how you feel about that <laughs> I mean, we're really, really good at responding to deploys that introduce exceptions, so it's fine. Okay. Raphael might disagree. <laughs> yeah, I He's mean, it's, on, a, on a small team, I can just like I can just pull down the latest change and be like, hey, that introduced a deprecation warning. You need to fix it. But on a big team, right. you can't and do it's that. It's like I can't even, if I wanted to go look at every pull request, like I look at everything that happens in Rails, and that's difficult. I couldn't even do that for like a quarter of the traffic on Shopify core. Mm -hmm. But it's good. I spent today just like working on open source stuff. I've been I've been getting into a better groove with issue triage. 
Because since I switched to it full time, I was always like, all right, I know issue triage takes me at least four hours. So I'm going to do issue triage and then lunch and then stuff. And that has led to me like not being in a great mood most of the day and like starting my days later and later and yeah, burning out earlier in the day. So take some time off issue triage. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Because that just piles up. That's okay. Well, but I have to still get through it. You don't have to. Like, it doesn't go away. But you don't have to get through it. It's literally my job, though. <laughs> Your job is to fix the ones that impact Shopify uh, first and foremost, correct? Kind of. <laughs> like, I try not to really give Shopify hugely preferential treatment as a point of principle. But anyway, like, I've just been doing a better job of spreading it throughout the day lately. And that's been, I've found very helpful. So I'll do like an hour of issue triage and then work on fun stuff and then do an hour of issue triage while I'm eating lunch and then do some more fun stuff and then do an hour or two after I'm done with the fun stuff to end the day. And it's been like, that works out nice. It still adds up to four hours. So you think you find that the context switch between do work, do issue triage, well, it's all work, do coding work, do issue triage work is worth it due to the trade-off of your attitude when you're doing that issue triage or when you complete doing the issue triage. I'm really good at context switching. Okay, cool. Yeah, like literally uh, yesterday I had diesel in one tab, discourse in another tab, and a Rails issue in a third tab, and I was just switching between the three tabs, and then when the tests were running on one, I'd switch to another. I do think that context switching has a cost, but I, I think somehow we've grown to overstate it. And there's probably all sorts of research that says I'm an idiot, and that's not true. But I used to work in an office where my desk was between literally everybody else in the office and the kitchen. <laughs> so I'm good at tuning things out and I'm good at context switching and distractions and shit. Yeah. It's it's a learned skill like anything else. Makes sense. And just it's not a thing that most developers learn nor is it a thing most developers should have to learn. Right. All right. Should we wrap up? Yeah. Okay. Show us for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 91. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes and Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on our website. Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.